Hello and welcome to the Comeback Nation podcast. Today's guest is going to be speaking from a slightly different perspective compared to some of my past guests who have mostly come from purely entrepreneurial and business backgrounds. But today we've got someone who's going to be sharing a career experience. And I thought that would be quite valuable actually for some of our listeners who are more career oriented. And so I thought it would be good to have Brian on as he's had a very interesting career journey. He's experienced some real challenges along the way and he's now making some pretty amazing waves in the world of blockchain. So just a big welcome to Brian D'Souza, a little clap there. Welcome Brian. Thank you. Uh, Just a little bit about Brian. So Brian has recently made a transition into the technology sector, actually. And he's currently a strategic alliance lead for an organization called R3. And they're one of the world's leading enterprise blockchain companies. But before that, Ryan graduated with a first class honours degree in information systems from Bruno University. And while he was there, he also completed internships with two leading financial service institutions. But following graduation, Brian actually started at a global investment bank and he subsequently became a trading associate within IT following a variety of roles within the prime brokerage business. But after seven years, Brian decided that he wanted to co-found one of the only UK internal startups selected to become part of the company's global startup program. So yeah, again, welcome, Brian. It's so great to have you on with us. Thank you, Louise. Pleasure to be on and thanks for having me on again. Look forward to having a fruitful discussion and sharing my story and my journey effectively. Absolutely. So, so you've been an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is sort of something that's getting a bit more of a spotlight recently. I mean, tech firms have been doing this for ages, such as Google. But I mean, it's something that any organization, any industry can actually benefit from. So I'm just curious, you know, did you, did you enjoy um, working as an entrepreneur? Was it almost like a dream because you had all the advantages and the perks of running a startup, but without some of the challenges? Or was yeah. it a bit different? What was that like? Okay, so you're rightly pointed out a lot of organizations and corporates are looking at entrepreneurial programs to effectively keep employees and companies innovating. So it's really important that companies innovate internally to change the culture. So effectively, we're not just becoming doing what we do on a day-to-day job, but we're actually looking outside our typical business as usual role. Mm. to find new ways of innovating. And I think we've seen this great, tremendous uptake, like you mentioned, with organizations, especially the tech companies have been really good at this, but we're seeing banks and other corporations really reinventing themselves through their employees. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. I know we're going to touch upon it a bit later. But yeah, it's just, it's really great to have you on. And I was just wanting to know a bit more about your journey, because I know you experienced challenges from quite early on. I mean, could you give us some insight yeah. into that? Yeah, sure. So I guess taking you on the journey chain of where I started, I started my journey very early on, obviously as a kid uh, at school, one of the difficulties I had learning difficulties is dyslexia. So you might be familiar with dyslexia. It still challenges me today effectively, but I've learned to cope with it. But that's where I started with dyslexia. Um, So that's kind of where I really want to start my journey and talk to you about where I started. Yeah, absolutely. 
So I guess when, one of the things about this lecture is that I guess for myself is having experienced it very early on and being diagnosed at primary school. It took me a while when I, start, when I was very younger. My parents were quite concerned about when I started speaking. Um, so that was kind of had learning difficulties and speaking difficulties, early signs. Having gone into primary school, it became evident when I was picking up, I wasn't learning the same well as other students in the classroom. And then with that in mind, I think my parents sort of raised their issues and then teachers identified that there may be a learning difficulty. And then I was tested for like assessment tests for dyslexia and it proved positive. Mm. And that's something that I guess from a young age has taught me to overcome different challenges. But yeah, that's where I started with dyslexia. Do you remember that, you know, finding out that that that's what you you had yeah so I, I well it feels like a blur a long time ago now but yeah. I think when I look back at it I think I've had special needs teachers that came to my support very early on and gave me that platform effectively to support me because I think at that young age some students don't get identified and thankfully for myself I was able to be diagnosed and get the right level support yeah and that was like a building bridge for me effectively mm, absolutely I can imagine not really knowing, you know, why you were experiencing what you're experiencing must have been challenging. I mean, what were some of your experiences around that, if you can remember any? One of the challenges that comes really clear to mind was I was, I guess, I'll take you from primary school. So primary school was kind of doing my SATS test, CATS test, yeah. um, as you do when you're very young. And you kind of sit in the, uh, yeah, I, I, and I think <laughs> looking at it now is you do these tests and you think to yourself, like, what am I doing in this room? I'm sitting here and I don't know what I'm meant, supposed to be doing in this exam. And I didn't really have a way yeah. of learning. Um, and that was very much at young age. I didn't know what learning was, to be honest, and how to, to really learn. And that was kind of very early on. So that was at primary school and then I was dreading going to high school so going into secondary high school was kind of like oh what, how, what am I going to do when I go to high school because I I don't know what learning is and to me that was kind of worrying but went to high school and I guess from there it sort of it, things progressed yeah so that's really interesting that you say you don't you didn't know what learning was because I don't think the majority of people know what the experience is actually like when you are dyslexic you know I wonder if you could describe that a bit. Yeah. What does it feel like to try and, you know, learn or being in a learning context? What are some of those challenges that you experience? Yeah, so I guess primary school was kind of, you could hide away from it. But when you go into high school, there's nowhere to hide. You've got loads of students, you're in a big environment and your classroom size is a lot bigger. You have different subjects with different people and you have the pressure of being successful at your core subjects that you might not necessarily want to do, but you have to do part of the curriculum. So I mean, there's nowhere to hide in high school. So for me, I'll give you an example. I was sitting in a history class in year eight or year seven, year eight, I think it was. And it was very clearly, I, I was kind of they all opportunities to come around where you had to read out loud and you'd go around the class and you have to speak up and one of the things of dyslexia for me was I couldn't read loud loudly aloud um, to the class so standing up and reading out and I couldn't read if you give me a piece of paper I'll struggle to read every line and and I get really nervous and I miss out words I'd, and it's not something I do purposely it's something part of dyslexia so yeah. that was a real challenge for me yeah so tell me more about how you kind of progressed from that, because I mean, obviously looking at you now, you know, you've, you've amassed like 25,000 followers on LinkedIn and obviously you are 
in a business where you are helping to you know develop it and you are sort of at the forefront of it so what happened between that young young boy in high school who maybe was struggling to read out loud to who you are today and the challenges you've had to overcome as a consequence yeah certainly so I think the main challenges for me that I had to overcome were building techniques was one of the key things for me, finding a toolkit that I could use. So in that, I mean, for me, example was discovering mind mapping. That was kind of the key changer for me. It taught me a way of learning. So this was in year 10 when I was practicing for my GCSEs. Mm. It became very instrumental and it still is to this day. It gave me the foundations to go out and use this technique for revising, learning. Even when you have a brainstorming sessions, that's the way I absorb information. I think I'm a visual learner. Effectively, I take information on a a piece of paper and I can absorb it much better. And it helps me to generate new ideas. And that's what kind of in today's generation, you talked about LinkedIn and networks. I think it's very important that this sort of links into being able to build a network. I think it's important. A good example was when I was young, I used to spend more time speaking with adults. And I think that gave me that kind of real platform to go out and to understand what have better conversations when I was at a young age. So it gave me a kind of a head start, even though there's two ways to look at it. I should have spent more time with the kids, but I'd definitely say mind mapping was a key tool for me very early on. Oh, fascinating. How did you discover mind mapping? Good question. So I discovered mind mapping actually through my dyslexia, my special needs teacher at high school. She had this, we used to use a dictionary called Ace Dictionary. It was a dictionary and that was really useful for me at the time. But then I realized, okay, this is great. And I used to use AlphaSmart, which was like a typing machine. And then one of the other things they gave me was a software called Inspiration. Special needs teacher said, try out this software. It's really good. It's recommended by Tony Buzzin, who's the guy who created mind maps. And mind maps was, oh, let me try this out. And it became really, really, really influential very early on to me and a great tool that I will never forget to use and will always use. So that was kind of where it came up. No, mind maps are so amazing for organizing thoughts and ideas I, I use them as well just because my mind can sometimes go at a thousand <laughs> a thousand miles per hour and just using mind maps that help organize my ideas and my thoughts is so so helpful so yeah t- tell me more about how what you did from there so you were able to find some helpful tools yep. to help you throughout your time at school so how did you progress from then on yeah so having completed my GCSEs and done relatively okay and I could see progress in what I was doing and maturity. As I progressed, I went on to do my A-levels, which I found very challenging having picked subjects like maths, biology. There was two subjects I really found it really interesting at the time to me were business and IT. And that's where mm. kind of I led on to my career. But that was kind of... I guess from that perspective, I started building an interest in those subjects. So it became very quickly, how could I learn and use my techniques that I've learned, like my mapping and carry that forward. And so that was kind of where I was. And, and then having done completed that, it was kind of picking my degree. And that kind of helped me pick my degree, which I wanted to do and study where I wanted to go. So, yeah. Fantastic. So you went to Brunel. Yep. And how was that experience did you just continue to use the same techniques and tools or did you find that oh no maybe you needed more or was it actually quite an an affirming experience so my experience at Brunel I think one of the things important that thankfully having gone through those kind of from a young age discovering dyslexia that was the discovery and then being able to assess my journey and find a technique that worked for me which I was very fortunate and I know that not everyone finds techniques that work for them Mm. and toolkits that they can carry on to basically propel them to better and better to progress but I think 
going into university, the biggest challenge for me was, I guess, from A-levels was very challenging. But looking back at it now, I'd say for me, my degree was something that was... I guess I didn't cover this earlier, but I think it's really important to to remember that people we still would say to me or I had teachers saying, I'm not sure you'll go to university. I'm not sure you've got the capabilities. And that became like a something that I needed to prove to myself that I could do, but not really proving to them. But in my head, it was about having that determination and, and not being scared to go to university because I, I faced my GCSEs, what, which I struggled with, but I made it through. Mm-hmm. And then I knew that the light at the end of the tunnel was to keep on going to use yeah. these techniques that I've discovered to, to move forward. And that was something that I really enjoyed, the social aspects of university, like you said, networking, going to events, but also building a friendship of people that, who have similar interests. So that was important for me. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really fascinating. I think sometimes when you, especially at a young age, when you hear people you look up to, I guess to a degree putting limits on you or maybe saying you won't be able to do X, Y, Z, it can be really easy to just not then do that. I mean, I'm just curious to know what made you decide to still go to university anyway. I know you said that you just sort of saw a light at the end of the tunnel. Was that just innate or were there people around you that reminded you of that? Or was there someone you looked up to that helped you kind of have that perspective? I'd say my brother was someone who I really looked up to because he kind of followed that kind of progression and was someone to aspire to. So he was kind of like my mentor, my my role model. And that was something that hopefully we all find someone that we can aspire to and will guide us on that journey and, and be that kind of what we deem. We all have different levels of success and what we think successful is. But there's always those elements that you can take and you can sort of really look at what they've done and And also, obviously, using your own experiences that you've been through, I guess, from mine was from primary school all the way up into university. It was really understanding what can I learn from them and who can I speak to? Because it's always important to have people you can speak to and learn from them. And I think what I mentioned, I used to hang around a lot with adults and have those adult conversations. It really helped in the long run. Now, when I was going to university, I could have those adult discussions and really follow that. So that was really important for me. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so what happened after university? How did you transition into the world of work? And were there any new challenges you faced in that process? Yeah, I think part of my university degree, I did a four-year course, which involved an industrial placement. So that was one-year internship at, like you mentioned, I was working at AXA Investment Managers, and then I went on to Citigroup for a summer internship as well. And that really put me into good stead for like the working world, I would say. So the experience, people talk about where you really get your experience and how do you use what you learned in your university degree and then put it into the working world. I think internships are hopefully, they're very important and it put me in the right path to the working world, I guess, very early on. That's something that I would say worked really well for me. So that's internship number one. University puts you on a good platform and the social aspects of being able to go to events. But I think the biggest struggle for me was knowing that I was going to be out there with like every student, you finish university, you're going to be applying. But having done my internship, that put me in a good stead, I would say. And there was no real challenges for my dyslexia, but it's just knowing that I wasn't going to be coming and just easily getting a job. But it was, going to, it was challenging, but also my networking, like I touched on before, was really important for that. Mm. Networking is so important. The kind of work I do, you know, outside this as a career coach is helping people connect with the right 
work opportunities and you know 60 to 70 percent of jobs are not even ever advertised online and so networking becomes a huge part of finding opportunities and connecting to those and it sounds like you leveraged on your strengths you know you were good at speaking to people you mentioned that when you were younger you were often speaking with adults and so that wasn't difficult for you so you almost leveraged your strengths to a degree it sounds to connect with the world of work or at least to you know be successful in the world of work correct yeah yeah oh, fantastic okay so yeah um tell us what where you went to from there so i guess having completed my degree having done my internship one year placement at axa and then summer internship at city i guess like every student you're kind of applying you have your contacts one of my friends said oh go out and apply to this investment bank they're a really good place to work and then mm-hmm. got involved and he had a contact and then I did the assessment test and then ended up passing it and then starting my new role. And that was kind of entry into the bank, which I ended up staying with for seven years. I started on the graduate program and then moved on having done a few rotations within the IT department. And then I sort of realized, where am I going to fit and what skills do I need? Like every student. So I guess some of the challenges that you face as an individual is kind of really deciding where, where do I want to go and what, what are my key skills and what can I be good at? So that was kind of really important for me. Mm. So having completed my rotations on the program, I sort of settled into this role within the electronic trading world, as we call it, in the financial services, capital markets. And then from there, I, I said it's really important networking. You meet a lot of contacts. The world of financial services is very, very small. Yeah. Um, people move from bank to bank or <laughs> vendor to bank and your, the network becomes very small. Yeah. And then for me, having like met different people. I networked into different roles. I made myself visible and there was a merger between the two companies uh, that came together. Two banks came together and then we all became one. So that was really important that I found a good fit in a new organization because change always involves upskilling yourself, but also making sure you're really fit for where the direction of the company's heading, but yourself. Mm. And, And it's important that you look out for yourself in the role like that because organizations' roles tend to change. Mm. Um, so that's quite really important. Absolutely. Sort of almost just re- being able to, to reinvent yourself to a degree, depending on, you know, where the industry is headed and where the organization is headed is really important. And that means staying abreast of trends and things causing the market or the industry to shift. Definitely. Was that something that you intentionally did or? Yeah. Yeah. You just naturally knew to do that. Yeah, I I would totally agree. And I think I was watching the world around me and the technology around us and where things were moving. And I think it's quite fit to say in today's world with COVID, it's driven a lot of change. So we've seen, I guess, from a transformation perspective, we've seen two years worth of transformation in two months. And for me at the time, putting myself back into where I was in my career at the time, I wanted to keep on learning. And I think it's very important that we all keep on learning, discovering what our strengths are and weaknesses are. But it's really putting yourself in a challenging environment, especially the the world of banking, right? It's uh, it's always changing. Mm. Um, there's lots of change around us, which is good, but you need to make sure you fit into that plan. And for me, I, I had done quite a while in that different variety of roles. And then I was kind of like, do I move or do I stay at the same organization? And that's some typically that people face, right? Is do they move or do they look for other opportunities within the organization? Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Absolutely. So take us to where you went from there. Okay, so where did I move on from having done a number of variety of roles? Having found myself at the organization for quite a while, I kind of got to that point where do I stick or do I twist? And then this opportunity of working on an internal startup program globally, you you talked about entrepreneurship. And I, I really think that's really important. When you come to an organization, being able to come up with new ideas and to take the business forward is really important. Wow. So 
Yeah, that was that was quite pretty amazing. So I worked with a co-founder to pitch an idea looking at reputational intelligence. Mm. So effectively taking external data with internal data on a specific customer and providing that single view of trust. So that was really a, a kind of cool technique and that was using new technologies like artificial intelligence. So that was pretty cool at the time. So that's where it took me and innovation was a key area for this. Driving innovation for the organization was something yeah. I thought was really important for myself, but also for the organization. So it fit, fitted really well. And how did you sort of connect with your co-founder? So good question. So we, again, he actually moved over from the United States to the UK and we worked on a similar project together. He knew my skills of networking and Mm -hmm. also being keen and passionate about change and innovation and technology. He was, he thought I was be a good fit for this role. And we we both started chatting and then we, he was looking at working on a KYC project and then we sort of bounced some ideas and then he sort of found this linchpin and then said, what do you think? And then we sort of sat down, brainstormed. And then the next thing he knew, it was pitching in Paris. And actually, I couldn't make it to the pitch in Paris, but my co-founder actually went over and he'd done a fantastic job. Um, And we actually got chosen as one of the startups. I think there was about 79 startups across the globe. And there was the loads of internal startups pitched for this and only 79 were chosen globally. And we were one from the UK. So it's pretty amazing. Wow, that is amazing. And so then from there, were you actually literally starting the organization within your organization? And how did that, how did that go? Yeah. So thinking back at it now, we were working on a startup. Initially, we came up with this idea and then we were told you're going to have X amount of budget to run this project. So you're running a startup within a bigger organization, which is quite, it has its challenges and it has its rewards. And I think for me at the time was coming out of my comfort zone of what I knew best. And likewise for my co-founder, we we were just kind of given this budget and approval to go and work on this startup. So we didn't actually know what we were getting ourselves into at the time, right? As a, as a startup, you never know, right? It's a roller coaster. You start in, you can see the finish line, right? But it's it's bumpy mm. and it's challenging. So yeah, mm. that was part of that, not knowing what we were in for, which was really <laughs> important to, to where I am now. Yeah. What were some of the biggest challenges? Good question. So working within a bigger organization, you have to make sure you're number one, visible to senior stakeholders within the organization. So when you're working on a startup, you need to make sure that what you're presenting and what your problem statement is and what you're trying to achieve is you're clearly working with the teams, not against them, because that's really important. So that's working with teams like compliance and working with different siloed functions, I would say, within the bank, because it's so big. Yeah. And the second point I would say was being able to get the right teams involved. So Number one is communicating what you're trying to do and how you're going to work with them. Number two is actually identifying the problem. Well, it's just not, it should be number one, but it's the problem you're identifying for them in that sense. So what, what are you effectively working to achieve to, to relieve the organization and the pain points? So what, what, are you, what value are you deriving? What's your value proposition for this startup? And how is it going to fit into the bigger scheme of things in the organization? That's really important to understand. Um, that was another one that came up quite a bit um, and really important to what we were doing and trying to achieve. Yeah, I can imagine just navigating multiple stakeholders and multiple interests and priorities must have you know, been an interesting experience. Yeah, definitely. So within this, your your senior sponsors are ahead of UK, and that's really important because you're effectively executing for this person to make sure they look good in their job, right? Yeah. And then also another thing that you need to do is make sure you're working with different stakeholders across the organization, making sure you're aligned, but also delivering value at the same time and getting... So I don't come from a development background, neither neither did my co-founder. But one of the important things is that we could get the right teams together to coordinate 
And that's really important within a large organization. You have this budget, but effectively it's a, effectively a virtual budget, but you spend it on different cost centers. Yeah. Um, and whether you need external resources, that's fair. You can bring them in within valid reason, but then you still have to go through the normal procurement process, which takes a long time to onboard, right? So that yours, again, some challenges you face was how do you get the right employees externally onboarded in the right time to fast track your opportunity? Because you only have effectively 10 months to build something and then pitch it and then it's time to move on so it's very challenging in that respect Mm, imagine you can imagine so so you're now an entrepreneur you are running and mobilizing this startup within your organization take us through what happened what happened after that yeah, so we worked on this MVP, we developed the MVP, and then we were pitching it to different teams. So we had great interest. Everyone saw the value from the business. It's important that you have the business buy-in. So that's the people that are the client-facing teams who have the outreach. And then you have the technical teams as well. So you're, you're bringing it all together. It's important. So we had we pitched to senior stakeholders. We pitched to head of compliance, very global senior people. They also saw the vision. They saw the tool. They liked it. But as you know, with the banking, it, things change and budgets get cut, the, the whole power paradigm of change the bank budgets get shrunk first one to get hit is innovation within the bank so with that our budget got cut that meant that we couldn't deliver what we wanted to deliver and that was really challenging for me and my co-founder because we took this risk to come in at the same time we learned a lot tremendous amount about ourselves lots about ourselves but also about the actual what we were trying to achieve for the business and that there was value in it and that we needed to mature all this and the timing had to be right and there's different things that have to come in together right so that was really difficult at the time because it was coming towards christmas we were told that there's no there's no longer going to be any budget to move this forward and it was really difficult to take at the time and i think i guess it was seen as a, a setback for me and for my co-founder at the time certainly for me anyway and it was kind of like what do we do next Mm. So what did you do next? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so at the time it was Christmas came about and it, Chris, Christmas passed and then we were told oh, our jobs would always be secure. So they told all entrepreneurs your job would be safe. Effectively, you could go back into our roles. So we were told we went back into our old roles, start of the new year. And it was kind of really difficult to find your way in because having been away from your role and being so independent and driving your own kind of yeah. internal startup, you're in control of what you do um, and doing something that's really interesting and passionate about, right? I'm not saying that you aren't about your role, but it's taking out your comfort zone. And that's something that I really enjoyed. Mm. Um, and I kind of, I, I think I have this, I found the ability to bounce back. And I think that comes from my dyslexia. Having failed my exams, it was never going to be a BNs all right. So for me, it was about finding the right track forward. And I think I found that just keeping my head up high, but also just knowing that there's going to be something around the corner. And that was where I was. It was just really knowing. And, and there was a few things I learned and we'll touch on them. I'll, I'll talk about them in a few moments, but it was really just knowing that this wasn't the end for me. Mm. Yeah, you've you've mentioned that a few times actually, just in terms of, you know, always thinking that there'll be something else or something better around the corner. And you've just reminded me of this quote I stumbled upon a few days ago. And the quote is, staying positive doesn't mean you have to be happy all the time. It means that even on hard days, you know that there are better ones coming. And I really see that coming through in your, your journey and your experiences, just really always seeing almost like the silver lining or always being hopeful that there's going to be something else around the corner. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. And I think uh, that sort of leads me on to like, I always have these sets of principles, I would say, that have guided me. So that's kind of, 
<laughs> yeah, so I think I'll definitely share them. And I think there's three. So I'll start with the first one. And the first one is keep your promises. It sounds so basic, but really important to building building respect and a positive identity, especially when you're trying to build that globally, but also across your network. It's really important because the world as we know it is very small and it's important that you follow through and when you're going to say something do it and mm-hmm. people always respect you more for what you do so that's number one number two know your strengths and weaknesses i think it's easy to say you know your strengths and everyone kind of hopefully knows their strengths but it's important to really self-evaluate and really i think the weaknesses are your kind of biggest i, I would say asset because if you know your weaknesses and you can work on them they become strengths so that takes time and that's really important because knowing yourself and being true to yourself to understand and self-evaluate, you, we don't always do it so often and I, I'm guilty of that as well, even though I, I, I think it's really important. I think it's really important that I make that time if it's every month just to evaluate my performance. I, I try to do it weekly, but sometimes we lose that track and that's being able to reset your targets as well and goals mm. and that's really important. Mm, definitely. And number three, I would say is having no self-pity and what that means for me is the ability to bounce back. So fortunately for me, I've had that from a young age, being dyslexic and failing my tests and sometimes seen as a failure in some instances because I failed my exams. But really just knowing that there's going to be something there that if I keep bouncing back and I keep keep in there and keep in the game and keep moving forward as best as I can, something will come up and it will help me. It's like a step, right? On a, on a, a ladder. Just keep keep stepping. You might fall back off the ladder, but get back on the ladder and keep pushing yourself up. So that's really the bounce back ability. Mm. Um, no matter how, how high you fall from, just keep on going. Take those steps down if you have to and then come back up because you'll come back a lot stronger. Definitely. And I guess that, that self-evaluation piece you mentioned is part of that process as well. Definitely. When, when you do fall back. Yeah. Thank you so much, Brian. So now you're at R3. Tell us a bit about R3 and, and what you're doing there. Yeah, so I'll start off who R3. So R3 is a software enterprise company effectively leveraging blockchain technology, I guess, to fundamentally transform the way businesses transact. That could be sharing data, sharing information. So we've seen corporations for effectively banks where we started in 2015 as the banking consortium effectively share information and data. So every bank wants to transact and they need to do that with privacy and the fundamentals such as being able to scale those transactions, but also making sure it's secure. And then that that leads me back to privacy, right? So it's really important that they can do that. And one of the ways we do that is through Corda, which is effectively our blockchain platform. Oh, fantastic. And you are the strategic alliance lead for EMEA. And tell us a bit about what that involves as well. Yeah, so I started back late last year and part of my objective and my role within R3 is to work with strategic alliances. That's kind of like system integrators. So you have global system integrators who effectively have an integrate and build applications from end to end so they can do consulting to delivery to supporting the applications and and in this case they support Corda Mm. and it's really being able to take those working with leading strategic alliances in different regions and different geographies and especially my remit within EMEA is to work with them closely to develop these kind of opportunities to grow and scale Corda Enterprise and then it's also working with technology partners like cloud providers of this today Microsoft Azure and AWS and Google Mm. and bringing it together and we have a quite a big ecosystem where it's 300 participants probably more than actually about 350 it always changes all the time but yeah it's really bringing it all together to deliver value and customer success years ago when you were a child did you ever think you'd be working in this field Um, and if not i mean generally what's been the biggest surprise for you over your career so far 
<laughs> I could have never dreamt to be where I am today. But I guess that's a good thing, right? Because it's a good thing and a bad thing, I think. Because if you dream and you, and you don't achieve what you think you're going to achieve, whether it's a, a doctor, a scientist or whatever it may be, um, I never dreamt to be that. But I guess mm-hmm. one of the important things is just knowing that you're on the right path and it's just, I guess you'll find your way. It's For me, I found my way just through having the right mentors, the right guidance, learning from my lessons, but just mm-hmm. being able to network and talk to people and really understand what I want to do. And, and that just came on the journey. But I think I, I have, I, I just also wanted to touch on three lessons I learned actually. Absolutely. Please, please. Yeah. So I think they're kind of similar to my principles, but push forward. That's kind of put yourself out of your comfort zone. And that's what something I did with the internal startup. Really thought I had to like, try and take myself out of what I was good at doing typically on my day-to-day and put me into something new and it and it created a new opportunity for me to move forward. Yeah. Number two was emotional resilience. That's really important. Having the self-belief and willpower and motivation to know that you can you can do this, right? You can do it. And that's really important. And number three is just being adaptive and flexible change. And I think that's never more important than ever now in this state with COVID. We've seen new ways of working, but also just being able to find and discover new techniques like I found mind mapping early on. So, and that's a tool that's helped me today. And I think it will continue to help me. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Brian, thank you so much for sharing those three principles and also three ways to bounce back from challenges and and setbacks. You've shared some fantastic insight and I just want to say a huge thank you for being honest about your experiences with dyslexia because there's a lot of people out there that have experienced the exact same thing but you've shown that through your perspective and through your mindset and also having the right people around you you've battled on and achieved some fantastic things so if you do want to connect with Brian he is on Twitter as Brian D'Souza 90 that's B-R-Y-A-N-D-S-O-U-Z-A 90 and if you also want to be one of his 25,000 LinkedIn followers you can follow him on LinkedIn or you know he said he's happy to connect with people as well so just reference that you heard uh, about him from this podcast episode especially if you're interested in blockchain as well and if you do want to find out more about blockchain you can go to r3.com forward slash blockchain quick facts there's some information on there especially a useful guide to give you more insights but brian just want to give you another clap and just say you know thank you so much for sharing today Thanks, Louise, for having me on. It's been great to be on and share my story and my journey effectively. And I hope others can learn from it and take something away from it. I think they absolutely will. Thank you. Just before we go, I want to share my usual quote that I mention at the end of every podcast episode. And this one is from Joshua Waitskin. And he said that the moment we believe that success is determined by an ingrained level of ability, as opposed to resilience and hard work, we will be brittle in the face of adversity. So just an encouragement to us to be constant and consistent in our building of resilience and determination because there will be obstacles and challenges along the road. But as someone said, the comeback is always stronger than the setback. So that's all from us today. Thanks again to Brian. And until next time, everybody, take care. Bye.